Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. It's that time of the week. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. You're locked into the Believe Hour here on Sports Map Radio, taking you right into the Bucks Celtics game on this Friday night. That's the Believe Hour. Believe B L E A V. Check out the Believe Network at Believe.com. We are the number one network for media professionals. Originally a podcast network, we've moved on to TV shows. Catch Believe in Bengals over on Bally, Ohio. We are doing everything, and if you like podcasts, if you like any sport, any team, any topic, we've got the best podcast for you, so make sure you check us out at Believe.com, that's Believe, B-L-E-A-V, and I can't wait for our hour together. I've got Jarrett Bailey, my good friend and of course NFL contributor for Sports Illustrated and USA Today, also on this Friday the 13th, happy Friday the 13th everyone, I hope you're going out and enjoying your lives as you normally would, because that's what everyone should be doing today. Well, not only is Jarrett a football aficionado, but he is also one of the biggest horror movie buffs I know. So in addition to talking about last night's NFL schedule release, we'll also be ranking the top five scary movie franchises of all time. Spoiler alert, I'm a slasher guy, so... If you're part of that paranormal activity crowd, if you like those ghost movies, I don't know if you're going to love my list, but let's debate it. Make sure you follow me on Instagram, at Joe Serralo, or on Twitter, at the Joe Serralo. I want to hear your takes. I want to hear why you love or hate my takes. But here's a take I'll leave you with before we dive headfirst into the NBA. The NFL schedule is out, and the Buffalo Bills-Los Angeles Rams is the best opening night matchup the NFL has ever given us. I I can't wait for this game. I need to be in SoFi Stadium for this game more than I need oxygen in my lungs. I I mean, the Buffalo Bills are going to win the Super Bowl this year, right? I've been saying it. I don't know if I've actually said it on record yet, but now seems like the right time. Everyone in my circle knows that's how I feel. Of course, I went to school in Bills country. The Buffalo Bills are winning the Super Bowl and they're starting the season in the home of the defending champs. It doesn't get any better. We've got a full hour together. Joe Serralo here on Serralo Sports Talk, so stick with me. You're listening to the Believe Hour on SportsMap Radio. All right, we're back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. You're locked into the Believe Hour here on SportsMap Radio, taking you right up to tip-off and a little beyond it of this Milwaukee Bucks-Boston Celtics game that we are at this point about 20 minutes away from tip-off. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to the Phoenix Suns and Dallas Mavericks going to Game 7. Miami wrapping it up in 6 in Philly. Of course, my friend Jarrett Bailey, NFL contributor for USA Today and Sports Illustrated, is going to hop on and talk about last night's schedule release with us. But before we go any further, we only have an hour together. So for behind-the-scenes coverage, for takes, for picks, for bets that I can't give out here in just one hour a week, make sure you hit me up on socials. That's at Joe Serralo on Instagram, at the Joe Serralo on Twitter. 
interact with me, engage with me, debate me. I love it all. I'll respond back. Make sure you hit me up on those platforms. But like I said, we're less than 20 minutes away right now from the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics tipping off in game six. And I want to make this very clear. I don't, I don't need a full nine, 10 minutes right here to tell you how I feel. The Boston Celtics are toast. The Boston Celtics are dead. The Boston Celtics had every opportunity in the world and then some to be going into this game six in Milwaukee up 3-2 in this series. Not down 3-2, up 3-2. They had two separate double-digit leads in game five at home at the Garden in Boston, right? Two separate double-digit leads and then they were up six inside of two minutes to go. It is absolutely inexcusable when you are a two seed in your conference in the postseason to blow a six point lead inside of two minutes at home. I mean, absolutely inexcusable. Al Horford went up over Giannis, over Bobby Portis with a one hand put back, how you doing jam to put the Celtics up six off an offensive rebound. And they blew it. That was absolutely inexcusable. And if the Boston Celtics couldn't win that game five at home, how the hell are they going to win game six in Milwaukee? Giannis Antetokounmpo and company are not losing in Milwaukee. Chris Middleton or not. And look, I know Middleton's being reevaluated. I mean, I don't see any chance he plays in this one, right? And the Bucks. don't get me wrong, if they want to go on and win a championship for a second consecutive year, if they want to go back to back, they need Chris Middleton. I think we've seen in this series, not that Milwaukee's in an awful position right now. Of course, they're up 3-2, but we've seen Middleton's value this series with how gassed Giannis seems every single game come the fourth quarter. I mean, people really undervalue Chris Middleton. And, you know, I'm not going to name any names, Josh Fisher, but I I feel like a few colleagues of mine undervalue Chris Middleton, right? Like he is... You know, he's always, of course, going to be the Robin to Giannis's Batman. Giannis is a two-time MVP, but Chris Middleton is crucial for this team. They don't win a championship without Chris Middleton because Giannis cannot keep doing this alone. Do I think he's going to push the Bucks, propel them to victory in game six at home? Yes, because the Celtics are deflated and have absolutely zero momentum. But if the Celtics held on to a more than reasonable, more than comfortable lead inside two minutes to go up six. If the Celtics held on and won that game, I'd be saying the exact opposite right now. I'd be saying Milwaukee's probably toast. Not necessarily in game six, but in the series. Because Giannis, I mean, mean, you you can't ask for him to do any more, right? The guy's turning out 40.15 rebound games in this series like it's nothing. He's got multiple games of that caliber. I mean, you ask any team, anyone in the league, right? If a team's star player has multiple games in a playoff series where he's going for 40 plus and 15 plus, that team's probably sweeping or winning in five, right? The games shouldn't be as close as they are. But Giannis is quite literally doing this alone. Now, look, I know down the stretch, Bobby Portis showed up. He showed up in those final few minutes. Drew Holiday had an incredible clutch, gritty block off of Marcus Smart. In the final sequence of things, inside about 15 seconds to go, it's not like Giannis made every single play down the stretch, but when you can name, when you can count on one hand the amount of plays that his supporting cast made that were really crucial in that game, you know, Portis Holiday down the stretch had two or three of them, it's a problem. 
Giannis is doing this by himself. I mean, I gotta say, the ending of that game, to watch Giannis with that cut above his eye looking like he's going 12 rounds in the ring, that was one of the most gangster things I've ever seen in professional sports. Someone compared it to the Kurt Schilling bloody sock moment, and, and I mean, yeah, to me, it, it's right there. You know, I know Schilling's was, of course, game six of the 4 ALCS, the Sox first team ever to come back from down 3-0 in a series and go on to win it, so maybe a little more dramatic, and this is, you know, not the conference finals, it's the second round, but it's still, I mean, it's a one-man show with Giannis, and, and to see him do that blood streaming, literally, I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating here, he had blood pouring down the right side of his face, and he put the team on his back, and not only did he play Giannis's style of basketball, right? To me, what was so impressive about his performance down the stretch in crunch time is that he expanded out of his comfort zone, right? When they were down six, Giannis answered immediately with a top of the key three. He's not a good three-point shooter, ladies and gentlemen. Giannis Antetokounmpo, newsflash, this guy plays football on the hardwood, right? He drives into the lane, drives to the rack. You know what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He plays football. He plays bully ball. He's not a finesse player. He is not a perimeter shooter. Yet, when it mattered, when the Bucks needed him the most, he came up clutch from beyond the arc. You know who didn't do anything from beyond the arc in Game 5? Jason Tatum. Now, Tatum didn't have a bad game. He attacked the rim. He, of course, has one of the better mid-range games in all of the NBA. But Tatum needs, I mean, his style of game, he needs to give you something. From the perimeter, right? He doesn't bully opposing players. I mean, Giannis doesn't matter one to five. The whole lineup, he'll bully everyone in the paint. Tatum's not doing that. He needs to shoot better for Boston to win games. Giannis had a better game from the perimeter than Jason Tatum did. The Celtics are going to lose 10 times out of 10 when that's the case. Even though they outplayed Milwaukee for probably 42 minutes collectively in this one, you're going to lose 10 times out of 10 when Giannis has a better game from the perimeter than Jason Tatum. I mean, what a wasted performance from, from so many guys. Jalen Brown, I mean, he dropped a cool 16 in the third quarter, only finished with 26, but what he did in that third quarter, game should have been cooked. Game should have been over out of halftime. It was a game at halftime. Milwaukee came back late in the second when they could have easily laid down, but then Boston picked up right where they left off in the third. I don't know what happened in that fourth quarter. Marcus Smart, I mean, this is the defensive player of the year. This is a guy who averaged 12 a game in the regular season. All of a sudden, this postseason, he's averaging damn near 15 a game. He had a great game offensively both ways in this one. But man, he got served. He got beat at his own game. That Drew Holiday blocked down the stretch when Smart was driving at the rim. That was something. Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks are an absolute force. And, you know, I've been saying all season through multiple shows I've done between the tip-off of the NBA season, and now I've been saying that we are geared up for a Phoenix Suns-Milwaukee Bucks rematch, and I never, I never call for rematches. I said the Buffalo Bills are winning the Super Bowl. I never, ever in any sport call for rematches. I said we're going to have a Phoenix-Milwaukee rematch, but a different result. The Phoenix Suns, just far and away the best team in basketball this regular season. Right now, and I know that they're up 3-2. I know it's not like they swept Boston, but they don't have Chris Middleton. Right now, the Milwaukee Bucks, when they're at full health, they seem like they're the best team in basketball. The Phoenix Suns, they seem like they're anything but it. I mean, they can't win a game on the road. They cannot go to Dallas and win a game. Home teams each 3-0 in this Suns-Mavericks series. And man, game seven, Sunday. I don't know. I'm not that confident 
that the home team is going to win all seven games. I think Phoenix is going to win, but they showed no signs of life in game six. I mean, you just beat Dallas like 110 to 80 in game five. You should have been marching in there, dragging your you-know-what on the floor, all the confidence and cockiness in the world, and winning that game. Instead, the Mavericks put on a clinic. I mean, Phoenix lost the turnover battle on this one, what, 22 to 6? That was an inexcusable, poor, I talk about the Bucks with a gutsy performance. This was a gutless performance by Phoenix. And folks, that was just bad basketball. So yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks still give us the matchup I've been calling for. But right now, the result might be different than the one I've been calling for because Phoenix looks flat going into game seven with Dallas. And the Milwaukee Bucks, they're king of the world going into game six at home with the Celtics, tipping off momentarily. Y'all know where I stand there. When we come back, we'll talk Doc Rivers' future, Joel Embiid's future, James Harden's future, because Philadelphia is a mess right now. Stick with me, Joe Sorallo. You're listening to Sorallo Sports Talk right here on Sports Map Radio. Back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. You're locked into the Believe Hour here. This hour we spend together here on Sports Map Radio on a Friday evening, the Milwaukee Bucks and Boston Celtics just about tipping off. So if you're going to throw that game on, make sure you watch it on mute with me in the background. We've got to talk about the other series, though, in the Eastern Conference, the one that just wrapped up the Miami Heat going to Philly, where the Sixers had been fantastic so far this postseason and eliminating a flat lifeless 76ers team in game six. I don't know what happened in that second half. I mean, Philly, we had a game on our hands, folks, at halftime. You know, Joel Embiid had, what, 14 and six at the half, finished with only 20 and 12. I mean, Embiid was MIA in the second half, but even more so, right? It's the main story we've all got to talk about. James Harden, where the hell was he? James Harden was a non-factor in this game, had 11 points at halftime, finished with 11 points, only took two shots the entire second half. I mean, so many question marks, so many futures are up in the air in Philadelphia. I mean, James Harden obviously has one year left on his contract, and it's a year he's going to get $47.5 million for. Doc Rivers, will he be forced out of Philadelphia? I almost hope, and I'm a huge Doc Rivers fan, a huge Doc Rivers supporter. I almost hope Doc Rivers is fired just so that he can go to a better situation. I mean, I think Doc Rivers and LeBron James will win a ring together if Doc was to come out to LA and join the Lakers. I absolutely believe that in my heart, that Doc Rivers with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and... Some rearrangements made for Russell Westbrook. Uh, I don't see him as a part of a championship team in the purple and gold, but I think Doc and LeBron can absolutely lead the way for the Lakers to win a second title in LeBron's tenure here in Los Angeles. I I mean, he wins. If, If Doc is let go by Philadelphia, he's the winner. Because where is this future going? Is Daryl Morey going to reward James Harden for what we just saw? Uh, I mean, yeah, if you're going based off the first five or six games that James Harden was a 76er when it looked like him and Embiid would never lose together, sure, give him that Supermax he's eligible for. He is eligible for a five-year, $270 million extension. Five years, 270 mil. Well over 
$50 million a year is what he's eligible for. In fact, I believe, what is that, $54 million a year to be exact? That's insane. That is insane money for a guy who not only are his best years behind him, but for a guy who has been a choke artist, a non-factor, a disappointment ever since leaving the Houston Rockets. I mean, the Brooklyn Nets still haven't lived up to their expectations. KD, Kyrie, Harden joins them, nothing. And then he goes to Philly, which I thought was actually a much better situation for him, where he could be the number one scorer on any given night, where he wasn't competing for touches with Kevin Durant, another wing player, where he was competing for touches, not even competing, but playing with a big man, right? Where Harden's assists would be at 12, 13 a night because he had Embiid and he could still average 25 a night. I thought Philadelphia was the perfect situation for James Harden. And it looked that way his first two weeks. But boy, did he come back down to earth in an ugly way. I mean, I don't think he's worth a dime right now, let alone 270 mil. And forget that. Even if he doesn't get the extension, he's still getting 47 mil next season. I mean, the Philadelphia 76ers' hands are tied. That trade with Brooklyn might be the least beneficial trade for either side that we've seen in the NBA in quite some time. I mean, there have been trade losers, a la the Los Angeles Lakers this year with Russell Westbrook, who I love, who I've always defended. I I really enjoy Russ's style of play. It didn't work. It won't work. It doesn't work out here in LA with LeBron and Anthony Davis, right? right? Like, it doesn't matter how much I love Westbrook. At at some point, you just have to call it what it is and admit the truth. And the truth is, it didn't work and it probably won't ever work. I thought James Harden was going to work. It didn't work. And now Philadelphia, look, When I say that there's a ton of question marks in Philadelphia, it's because James Harden and Doc Rivers aren't even the only two question marks. If this was any other market, if this was Milwaukee, say the roles were reversed and the 76ers roster and their coaching staff and front office were in Milwaukee, they were the Bucks, people would be saying Joel Embiid needs to force a trade to get out of a small market situation where he will not be able to win a title. All of that is true, except they're in Philadelphia. They're not in a small market, right? Like, the 76ers are never going to build a championship team around Joel Embiid. So just because they're not in a small market in the middle of the country, in middle America, doesn't mean we shouldn't be saying the same sentiment, that we shouldn't be screaming, Joel Embiid, get the heck out of Philly if you know it's best for you. This was his shot, at least, at the very bare minimum get to the conference finals this season, right? I am not that impressed with the Miami Heat. And credit to Eric Spolstra, one of the best coaching jobs, in my opinion, of his career all season to not only lock down the one seed, but now be here in the conference finals. All the credit in the world to Eric Spolstra. He doesn't even have his point guard. Kyle Lowry barely played this series against Philadelphia. And then, of course, because of that, because Kyle Lowry barely played, and because Bam Adebayo was essentially a non-factor the final four games of this series... There's another guy who deserves all the credit in the world, and that's former Philadelphia 76er Jimmy Butler. I mean, Jimmy has been absolutely sensational. And as much as I'm not buying into Miami as a legit title contender, you know, I think that no matter if it's the Celtics or the Bucks, who it will be, it will be the Bucks. I I think Miami's going to lose to Milwaukee next round, probably not even reach seven games. I think Bucks in six next round. And yes, I know that they have to eliminate the Celtics first, but I'm already making that call. Jimmy Butler just leading this team to where they are has been absolutely sensational. 
I mean, this guy deserves his proffers. He deserves his credit because Jimmy Butler's MO throughout his whole career, just because he's a little outspoken, he doesn't always have a smile on his face. It's that he couldn't win. He couldn't lead. He could be a number two. He couldn't be a number one. You know, I love the Jimmy Butler story of when he was in Minnesota and the way he pushed and challenged his teammates. Butler took four guys from the third string team in practice with Minnesota and played five on five against the other four starters plus the sixth man. And he whooped them. Jimmy Butler and the third stringers whooped the rest of Minnesota's starting five and their sixth man. Jimmy Butler's a dog. In every positive sense of that term, of that word, Jimmy Butler is the ultimate competitor. He's a hell of a two-way player. Gives you everything he's got on both ends of the court. Did it in Minnesota. Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid could have been a hell of a combination in Philly, but the 76ers had a choice. Ben Simmons didn't want Jimmy Butler there, and they catered to Ben Simmons, to Princess Ben Simmons, and look where he is now. He's in Brooklyn, and the Sixers have James Harden, who just got bounced in the second round in six games of the Eastern Conference playoffs. I mean, the Philadelphia 76ers, it's been downhill. And I, look, I know hindsight is 2020, but it's been downhill since they let Jimmy Butler go. Joel Embiid had just as good an argument as anyone to be the MVP of the NBA this season. He should have at least been in the conference finals. And this isn't on him. Look, I know he didn't have a good second half, right? We're not going to sit around and sugarcoat it. Six points in the second half, not good, no bueno. But he should have been in the conference finals. He came into this series, his team was down 2-0. I mean, this is on James Harden, right? There's no mistaking that. Joel Embiid played injured. He played through a thumb injury. He played through a fractured orbital socket. The guy has heart. He has skill, he has game, he has everything you want in a star player, and more importantly, in a leader, but he doesn't have his guy. And in the NBA, you need to have at least two, in most cases, three guys. Joel Embiid doesn't have another guy in Philly you can count on every night. Tobias Harris, occasionally. Tyrese Maxey, he's gonna be the guy. let, Let me be very clear about that. If the Sixers had Butler, you're talking a big three, That is Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, and Tyrese Maxey. But, and credit Maxey, give him all the credit in the world, he's the only guy in the second half who fought the entire 24 minutes. He's not that guy yet. James Harden needed to be that guy. $47 million needed to be that guy. And he wasn't. He wasn't even close. And so now you're going to get Doc's job on the line because of James Harden. Joel Embiid's season cut short because of James Harden. To me, it all comes back. Everything negative going on in Philadelphia right now comes back to James Harden. And I don't know if it's possible. Obviously, it's a tricky situation because of the cap numbers and the ridiculous astronomical amount of money he's making next season. But the best thing for Philadelphia would be some sort of sign-and-trade package that they can try to get rid of James Harden. I mean, because then you're looking at it this way, right? He's a rental, and you essentially trade Ben Simmons for whatever you'd get in return. But Harden's salary, his numbers, are just going to make that a really tall task for Daryl Morey and company. And in fact, I think Morey is going to cut his nose in spite of his face here and pay Harden to prove a point because he gave up Simmons for him and extend Harden to prove a point. And it's going to sink the 76ers for at least the next half decade, probably the better part of the next full decade. And that's why Joel Embiid needs to get out of there. Doc Rivers can have the easy out. He can get fired. 
deal with the, the bad talk about him. I don't think it phases Doc all that much. He's a pro's pro, been around as a player and a coach forever. He can handle a firing if it results in him coming out to LA and getting another ring. But Joel Embiid, he would be the big loser here if James Harden gets extended. Because at that point, he needs to get out. It's his only shot at winning. He is too big of a talent. And personally, I mean, I love him, right? Uh, the guy is, he's everything you want in this league from a young superstar. Of course, had the injury problems earlier in his career. He was a question mark. We know Joel Embiid, who he is now, right? We know he's an MVP caliber player now. And the best thing for his career is to get the hell out of Philly. When we come back, my man Jarrett Bailey joins the show. We're going to talk a little football. Last night, the NFL released its schedule for the upcoming season. So we'll dive into that and more. Stick with me, Joe Serralo. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk as part of the Believe Hour here on Sports Map Radio. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk, almost wrapping up your hour here with me, Joe Serralo. You're tuned into the Believe Hour on this Friday evening on Sports Map Radio. And joining the show next up, He's an NFL contributor for Sports Illustrated and USA Today and a good friend of mine, Jarrett Bailey. Jarrett, how are you, man? I'm doing fantastic, buddy. It's good to see you. Yeah, it is, uh, it's great to see you. Great to hear your voice again. It's been a while since we were doing our weekly uh, NFL betting show last season. It has been. It has been. So, yeah, no, it's good to, uh, to reconnect and talk football with you, my friend. Absolutely, man. Look, I know that one of your favorite nights of the calendar year, in-season, off-season, doesn't matter, is the NFL schedule release. So, Jarrett, when that Rams-Bills opening night game was announced, what was the first thing that you thought? It's a preview for the Super Bowl, potentially, which is, you know, that, that's always fun to start off the year with. And I think that that's, that's usually what the NFL tries to give us is, you know, a preview for a conference championship or a preview for a Super Bowl uh, for the first game of the year. Last year, it was Dallas-Tampa Bay. Both teams ended up making the playoffs. Um, both were, you know, two of the most exciting teams uh, in the league throughout the, the regular season. So seeing a team like Buffalo, who got better um, throughout the offseason and is arguably the best team in football on paper right now, Von Miller going back to Los Angeles, the team that he just helped win a Super Bowl. And Los Angeles themselves, I mean, yes, they've lost some depth pieces, um, but, you know, I mean, they've added uh, uh, Allen Robinson, they've added Bobby Wagner. So, I mean, it's just going to be a star-studded affair uh, in week one. It's going to be a good uh, – a good way to kick off the year. Now, now you're calling it a potential Super Bowl preview. So, you know, no team has repeated since the New England Patriots did in the early 2000s, 04, 05. What kind of chance do the Rams have to repeat this year without Von Miller, without Robert Woods? What are your thoughts? No OBJ, of course. No, well, the thing with the Rams is that, you know, they play in a weak NFC. Now, if they were in the, in the AFC, I'd say their chances are much slimmer, but you know, when it comes to contenders in the NFC, how many are there really? Maybe three. Maybe you look at Los Angeles, obviously, who just won. Green Bay. I mean, as long as Rodgers is in Green Bay, they're always going to be in the conversation. Tampa Bay. Outside of those three, like, I don't see another team in the NFC that you can say they are a bona fide contender. So, yeah, the Rams, uh, I think they're the best of those three teams. Um, so, in terms of their chances to repeat, I mean, getting back, I think that they have – as good a chance as any team in recent memory to get back to the Super Bowl in their, in their respective conference. So, um, you know, it just depends on who comes out of the AFC because uh, that's going to be a bloodbath on the other side getting out of that conference. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, you, you say that there's three contenders right now in the NFC. Sure. Personally, I think that there's two contenders in the NFC. But if you look at the AFC, 
I mean, I think that there's more contenders than there are playoff spots available over in the AFC right now. Hey, if you're just tuning in, Joe Serralo here with Serralo Sports Talk. Joining me, Jarrett Bailey, NFL contributor for Sports Illustrated and USA Today. And Jarrett, you talk about how the NFC is wide open. Well, we've seen a trend since 1990 where at least four new teams make the playoffs every single season. Now with the expanded postseason, good chance that number is higher than four. Give me at least four teams. The draft is done. The majority of free agency is done. At least four teams who missed the playoffs last year that you think will make it this season. I think there's going to be a lot of turnover this year. Um, I think there's going to be at least five that weren't there last year that'll get in. So, I mean, you look at the Broncos, obviously getting Russell Wilson. I think they're going to be one of them. The Chargers as well. They're going to be better. Um, so I think both of those teams will be in. Um, and you look at, I mean, a team like Baltimore uh, could, uh, you, know, you look at what they lost last year. You know, they were down all of their their top running backs, their top uh, secondary pieces. So Baltimore could be sneaky. Um, Washington and the Giants, I'm bullish on both of them. I'm so in on Washington and the, look, you look at what the giants had to deal with last year. I mean, Mike Glennon was the quarterback for the majority of the season. <laughs> Their defense allowed 20 or fewer points. I think nine times uh, the giants just couldn't put up points. So if they can stay healthy offensively, um, Brian Dable coming in just a really a good new regime, plus a really good defense led by new defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale. Uh, I think the Giants and Washington could be two teams that uh, weren't in last year that can make it. And I've been saying this for a, for a decent amount of the offseason. I think that the, the Washington Commanders will win the NFC East. So I, that's one that I'm really bullish on right now. You know, and for people that don't know us and our rapport, they don't know that this has been ongoing for about two years between you and I. First off, the Giants <laughs> thing is music to my ears. But how the hell? Can you trust Carson Wentz year after year when we haven't seen anything from him in years now? And I know, you know, he had a, he had a low interception total a season ago with Indianapolis, but he only needed to play a good half against Jacksonville. And the Jaguars would have packed it in down, down big at halftime. Season would have been over. Colts going to the playoffs. And he lost back-to-back games. Played piss poor back-to-back times to close out the season, man. Yeah, you know who else played really bad against Jacksonville? Josh Allen did. You know who played really bad against the Houston Texans? Justin Herbert did. Look, they play the games for a reason. Every team, any given Sunday. So, look, Carson Wentz, I'm not going to stand up here and say that he's an elite quarterback. He's much closer to quarterback 14 or 15 than he is to quarterback 30, like a lot of people like to think he is. 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. And plus, Washington was a 7-win team last year with Taylor Heineke, who – you know, all respect in the world to Taylor Heineke. I mean, he's proven that he is a player in this league, either a high-end backup or a lower-tier starter. Uh, but this is a team that Wentz is better than Heineke. They get, you know, Curtis Samuel, a guy who they signed last year from Carolina, who only played in really one game. He dealt with injuries all year long. They draft Jahan Dodson, Chase Young coming back off an of injury. Um, really good defense, really solid skill position, guys. Um, yeah, I'm in on Washington. I really am. So that's that's kind of my big shot call of, of the uh, of the season but yeah the Giants man I I think they'll be a wild card team uh in terms of everything I already pointed out about them but I feel like this is a big big year for Daniel Jones I mean I feel like the past couple years have been big for Daniel Jones but last year he spent the majority of it hurt so you know we'll see if he can uh prove that he is the guy going forward for the Giants but I mean they've got a really solid young roster established there and a division that always sees a ton of turnover every year so 
um, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens in the NFC East. Uh, I love the enthusiasm there. You know, I'm really bullish on the Giants in 2023. This season, they're going to have to show me something. It's just, you know, you saw it the other day with Bradbury and having to cut him a sure. great player, a pro bowler, not even 30 years old yet. But, you know, the Giants were just left in salary cap hell with uh, with Dave Gettleman. But Yeah, Dave Gettleman should be thrown in prison. <laughs> you know what? As a Giants fan, man, I could not agree anymore. <laughs> but that, that's enough of my Giants, a team that won four games a year ago. Let's talk about your team, because in addition to covering the league as a whole, you're a well-documented, diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So I got to know, Jarrett, when do we see Kenny Pickett? Is it week one? Is it another game circled on your calendar later in the year? When, when's it going to happen? You know, that's the interesting thing, because he's already 24. So in terms of their window of just, you know, being patient with him, I mean, they, it's much, much slimmer than it would be any other rookie. So, I mean, week one, they got Cincinnati. Week two, they have New England. And then the Jets. So, I mean, it's not a horrible start to the year. I mean, they can go two and one with Trubisky at the helm there, and that's fine. Like, I was very okay with them signing Trubisky and him just kind of going through this year um, as a starter. But, I mean, we go through uh, the schedule. I mean, I got it in front of me if I just scroll down a little bit to see, you know, where it gets tough. Week five and week six, they play Buffalo Bills and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, respectively. Yeah. That is going to be a determining factor for me at least like if I don't expect them to win either of those games but if they're at least competitive you know assuming Mitch starts both of them and he doesn't play horrible and they're in both of those games I don't see a reason to put in Kenny Pickett I don't like the Kenny Pickett pick but that's a whole other conversation for a whole different time <laughs> but week five and week six I think those are going to be the two determining factors and okay are we going to stick with Mitch for a longer amount of time or is his leash going to get exponentially shorter you know, it's interesting because I'm looking at the schedule right now as well. And obviously there's there's the possibility. I think it's a slim one, but there is the chance that Kenny Pickett comes out. He's your week one starter because like you yeah. mentioned, he I mean, the guy's my age, right? He just got out of college and he's my age. I'm, I'm two years removed. That's a possibility. I was looking week four at the Jets. I thought that looked great. It's a home game. Should be a cupcake opponent. But then I was looking at after the Jets. Bills, Buccaneers, do you really want that to be Kenny Pickett's second and third game in the league? Obviously, eventually, you got to play them all. But right away, I don't know. And then after that, it's like, all right, well, Miami or Philly, those are, you know, winnable games, which, of course, is big for a debut. But they're both on the road. How important is it to have him make his debut at home? Then you're pushing it off all the way to week 10 after the bye week against the Saints. So to me, it's like opening day is a possibility. Miami, if you're cool with it being on the road, or the Saints? Because I think the Jets, I just don't think it would be a good idea to have him start his career with two guaranteed losses to the Bills and Bucks. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And look, the Saints game, I think that that could be an interesting one to circle because it's home. I don't see the Saints being much this year. I know that you're kind of bullish on Jameis. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> to, to say the least. They're similar um, teams. It's funny, the Steelers and the Saints. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think both of them, the Saints more so because the NFC is weak, but both of them have an outside shot at the playoffs, and it's mainly because of their defense. Yeah, and that the thing for me, like, if I had to pick, like, if it was written in stone that Kenny Pickett had to start at some point this year, if I had to pick the perfect one to do, I think it would either be Miami or Philadelphia just because I don't think Miami's going to make a lot of noise this year. I don't. I think Philadelphia, even though their roster got better, I just don't – see Jalen Hurts I think we've seen the best of Jalen Hurts I mean you and I called the Tampa Bay game in the regular season last year yeah that game was not as close as the 28-22 final score no so sir. Uh, so um I 
I, I just don't see a lot in Philadelphia. If they wanted to start him in Philadelphia, I think that's week nine. I would be very, that would be kind of where I would, would pencil it in. Yeah. Week eight right there would make sense. Then you got the bye week week nine and the saints in yeah. Pittsburgh week 10. If you're just joining us, Joe Serralo here on Serralo sports talk and joining me, it's Jarrett Bailey, an NFL contributor for Sports Illustrated and USA Today. Go follow him on Twitter at NFL. Congrats on 4,000, my man. You know, we've oh, got about, much, absolutely, we've got about 90 seconds, maybe two minutes to go. And Jarrett, we haven't mentioned it's Friday the 13th. And there is no one I know. Oh, yeah, who, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And there's no one I know who is a bigger fan of Michael Myers and the Halloween movies than you. <laughs> so I've got to ask you 90 seconds. Rank your top five scary movie film franchises. Um, Halloween, by far and away, is number one. Uh, Michael Myers is the most iconic horror movie villain in the history of cinema. Uh, number two, uh, I like Friday the 13th. They're just so campy and they're so, like, you know you're getting. It's, it's a very campy 80s horror, you know, uh, franchise. So I, I like them. Like, they get progressively more stupid, but they're still... <laughs> nostalgic for me i like the conjuring series too um i feel like it's it's become too much of its own universe but they're still genuinely scary movies so the conjuring's very good um those are three are there any like i was never into friday the 13th I, that just doesn't do it for me um the scream franchise is really good just because there's so many little like plot holes that you can go back like re-watching the scream series is really fun because you can like kind of point out where little breadcrumbs were laid yeah. um and the new one i haven't seen the new one actually Does i actually i just saw it last week and i'm glad it? you brought that up because i was going to say you know as we close out this segment here scream is my number one halloween is number two i'm sorry i know you'll fight me with that that's one okay. to death, but no it's okay scream. that's a respectable that's a respectable number one i'd go conjuring three even though i'm more of a slasher guy gotta mix in one paranormal yeah. movie and then four friday the 13th five nightmare on elm street both of them have a couple great ones but a lot of crap in between yeah the the friday the 13th so like i just i still just don't really get it like i i like the character of freddy i just don't like i don't know the plot or the premise i guess but uh yeah no horror movies are fantastic and uh i'm glad that we were <laughs> able to sneak that in because that's fun horror movies and football are two favorite things jared happy friday the 13th thanks so much for joining the show I appreciate you, buddy. I'll be back with my final word on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk. Stay locked into the Believe Hour on SportsMap Radio. What a show. Back here with Joe Serralo. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk as we close out this edition of the Believe Hour here on SportsMap Radio on this Friday evening, this Friday the 13th. And yes, you heard it from me. Maybe it's a controversial take, but like I said with Jarrett just minutes ago, Favorite scary movie franchise of all time for me, hands down, not even close, the Scream franchise. Also, like I said, there's some bias there. I am a slasher horror movie fan, much more than I am a paranormal activity horror movie fan. But we've got about two minutes left on the show, and I do want to remind everyone to stay in touch with me over the weekend, debate me on my takes, engage with me, follow me on the socials. That's at Joe Serralo on Instagram, at the Joe Serralo on Twitter. I do want to use these last two minutes to discuss the Tom Brady mega deal that no, he did not receive from an NFL franchise, but that he received from Fox Sports to join the booth once his playing career is over with. And I think we have to acknowledge that means that this is Tom Brady's last season. 
right? I don't think Fox Sports is committing to that kind of contract for 2025. You know, Kevin Burkhart is going to be their lead play-by-play guy, and I love Kevin Burkhart. I met him when I was a kid. I feel like I've known him for for quite literally a couple decades now because I'm a diehard Mets fan from New York. I used to see Burkhart on my television every single night during baseball season. So now watching him on the national stage is absolutely sensational. Seeing him get his propers, the fact that he will call a Super Bowl alongside Tom Brady is sensational. But this means that this is Tom Brady's last season. 10 years, 375 mil. He's not going to sit around and play two, three, four more years and wait for that kind of money. This is ridiculous money. And with that said, I not only want to congratulate Tom Brady on making more money from Fox Sports than he ever did from an NFL team, but I want to congratulate Tony Romo because there is no guarantee Tom Brady is going to be a great or even good announcer. I think he will be. I believe in Tom Brady. He's such a charismatic, personable guy. But I want to congratulate Tony Romo because he's currently getting 18 mil a year from CBS. And this Tom Brady mega deal means that Tony Romo is easily going to clear the $30 million average annual value mark in his next contract. Because there is no better, simply put, no better color analyst in football right now than Tony Romo. And so, yeah, even though Tom Brady had a way better playing career, Tony Romo, congratulations, you're going to get the bag. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up, it's over, it's out of here. Thanks for joining me on this Friday evening. That does it for the Believe Hour. You're listening to Sports Map Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.